Hey, my name is Russ, and you're listening to the Russ Rants Podcast. It's a show about a lot of nothing, and yet a whole lot of something at the same time. It could be about what generally infuriates me, current events, or just whatever comes to the top of my head. Either way, I am excited that you're here with us, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Let's get on to the rant. Hey again, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to another episode. It sounds really cheesy when I say it like that because I never say that in the beginning of my intros, but that's okay. Welcome back to Russ Rants. Uh, Very glad that you're with us again. Got a lot of good comments from last week's show um, from a lot of people that actually don't even pay attention to Game of Thrones. You were just kind of interested in knowing that there was a petition out there to change stuff. So uh, that was a good one. Really glad you guys enjoyed it. Uh, Also on social media, I'm glad that you guys are enjoying the nerdiness that I am projecting with these face change Russ rants things. It's just, it's just, I'm just having fun. It's all it is. Um, But I'm excited. There's no segue that I can do to, to plan for this, but I'm excited to have a very special guest on the Russ rants podcast today. We're going to talk about some stuff. It's going to be really, really interesting, but I'm going to kind of let him tell you um, his story up to this point. But my good friend, Dustin Williamson, is joining us on the show. Thank you so much, Dust, for being on the podcast with me. Of course. Yeah, you're welcome. Hello. Hello. Thank you. And, <laughs> yeah. and for those that don't know, okay, so <clears throat> Dustin, you know, some people actually might be surprised you haven't been on the show sooner, but A, you didn't know that I was doing a podcast, and B, um, we actually used to do a YouTube channel together, everyone. Yeah, I'm surprised I haven't been on the podcast sooner. Well, I'm a little, a little offended. Suddenly, the reason I'm here is to just steal all your fans. And, and now suddenly them. we're all awkward, and <laughs> it's it's a war of words, and it's my highest uh, viewed uh, podcast. Dear Russ Rants fans, yeah, I'm. This is official. I'm officially hijacking this podcast. You you should come be my fans instead. Welcome to the Dust Dance Podcast. Dust Dance. <laughs> kidding. I don't, I don't have a podcast. No? Oh, okay. I'm not cool enough. We used to do a YouTube channel, though. It was called Dust mm-hmm. and Russ, and we started it in November of 2015. It was on and off for a few years. Um, I think we had fun. It was a good time. And <clears throat> yeah, I had fun. We did. We, 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 we honestly... So Dustin lives in Vancouver. I live in Calgary. And we, we've been good friends for years and years. And I brought Dustin on. So this is where I'm going to segue for you, Dust. But I'm going to get, okay. I want you to tell us the journey, though, because I think that it's a little bit underrated. I get where you're from, that it's a normal career for a lot of people, I sure. guess. Okay. But yeah. Dustin, everyone, is, what is your exact title? He works for EA, a very prominent gaming company. <clears throat> but I don't want to just say you're a game developer. Do you have an, like a specific title? That yeah, my official title is game designer. Oh, well, see, he's a game designer from EA. <laughs> and and uh, you, though, you, you, you grew up in Regina. I so, did. Regina, Saskatchewan. So how the heck does someone in Regina – now, I'm not, I'm not putting a label on anyone from Regina, but that's quite a journey because now you live in <laughs> Vancouver and you're a game designer. So how the heck, man, in brief, but just a brief summary of when did you want to become a game designer – you know, and how was that that journey for you really, really quick? And then, you know, where you are today? Because we're also going to get into what you're also going on the side, by the way. We're, we're, I want to kind of okay, give a little sure. plug for what you've got going on the side as well. Okay. Well, it all began long ago. Christmas Eve. No, I, had, I remember being quite young when I wanted to, when I first decided I wanted to make video games. 
it's whenever I tell people, oh, I'm a game designer, people are like, oh, that's every little boy's dream. Yeah, um, sure. Which I yeah, for a lot of little little children, I guess it is. I don't think it's limited to males. No male species. That's right. All the humans, <clears throat> all the human race. Yeah. Okay. But so the the problem for me though was there weren't really any uh, options in Saskatchewan to pursue that kind of career and. And nobody in Saskatchewan really even knows how to, the people that I talk to anyways, guide my career in that direction. So it got shut down pretty early when I was younger. And then uh, I... So this was something you always wanted? Yeah. Well, I I always wanted it, but I didn't always think it was going to be a reality. So when I was a little kid, I was like, oh, I could totally do this someday. But the dream kind of got shot down uh, by somebody telling me that making video games was too complicated. <laughs> too complicated. Not like it's a child, childish dream or that that's not a real job, but it's too complicated? Yeah, it's too hard. It's oh. too hard to make video games. Okay. I should have listened to them. It's very hard to make video yeah, games. Yeah, we'll, we'll get into that, man. Absolutely. Sure. So, um, oh, there's a mosquito. Don't die, man. That's okay. I'm we need allergic. you on this show. If anything, I, mosquitoes are allergic to my blood. Wow. Because I drink poison. <laughs> <laughs> people are now like, all of a sudden people are turning up their radios. and slightly. who the heck did this Russ This is a regular Dust and Russ conversation. This is to- you're actually going to see, guys, us in our element because I have created this platform, but Dustin is no stranger to the way that I operate, if no, anything. I'm- I was kind of wondering going into this how official it would end up being, but it's I, not, I feel like it, we're probably going to throw. It, it's still going to be good. Caution to the wind. We'll we'll guide a conversation, but it's sure. still Dustin Russ reuniting essentially <laughs> for a nice podcast. So okay, so let me yourself. speed up the story a okay. little bit. Okay, all right. I, cool. tend, I tend to go on tangents. Then Gandalf and... rescued me from the throngs of Indahir, <laughs> and I became a game designer. <laughs> Raw with, with those like elvish names. You, that... Yeah. Okay. I can't I can't repeat it. <laughs> <laughs> Glorfindale of clandestine. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so that was like era number one <laughs> where I like wanted to be a game designer and then I was like this probably isn't gonna happen. Then again in high school in like grade nine I went to a career fair and I was like, Oh maybe I can actually do this. But again, everything in Saskatchewan, like there's no game development studios. Excuse me. And yeah, fair, fair enough, um, I guess. That makes sense. And anytime I, anytime I like, looked into any sort of development, it, it, everybody sort of, like, in, in the career guidance path stuff, whatever, yeah. career guidance people okay. would always be like, oh, well, you need to be an artist to be able to do this, which is not true. You do not need to be an artist to be a game designer at all. It's not even close to any sort of what does it take to be a game designer then in brief of course but i can get into that in a second okay cool all right cool um but that was because it was it was more like animation um and computer graphics those were the things that were the only things that i was exposed to in terms of game development like that was the closest i came in saskatchewan so once again i was like well i don't want to do art and then again uh after i had already graduated high school gone through two years of Bible school and four years of working as a teaching assistant at, uh, at a high school, just kind of like, what do I want to do with my life? I don't want to go to school and 
waste time when I don't really know what. Were I you meaning to take your time though? Like the four years was like was it you didn't know what you wanted to do, or you did you have ideas, but you're like, you know what, I'm going to sit on it a little bit longer. I don't want a tangent. You know, you no, uh, I but... <clears throat> I didn't like video game development was wasn't really on the forefront. Music production was. Yeah, okay. And uh, so I, I wanted to give that a fair chance before locking myself into a career. Okay. And, um, yeah, you know, that didn't really go anywhere at that time. But You tried. <clears throat> I tried, developed a lot of skills that I am still using today, which cool. I'm assuming we'll probably eventually get into. Yeah, probably. Um, and so at, at one point I was just, yeah, I just remember sitting in my dad's office talking to him about, like, what am I going to do with my life? I need to start making some money. And – uh and yeah, he, he kind of drew it out of me. Like, what do you really want to do? Like money's not an option kind of thing. And I, I, it came back out again where I was like, I want to make video games. And <clears throat> I had never done this before. I don't know why, but he was like, just Google video game design school. And I was like, I'm pretty sure it doesn't exist. Really? So I'll, I'll go try it. Okay. There's a lot of game. There's a lot of st- schools out there for game de- development. I didn't know that. You just have to Google it. Yeah. <laughs> That makes and, sense, but it, and that was that was a big problem is people in Saskatchewan didn't really know how to like guide me into that career pursuit because sure. even now when I go back like it's there's a big difference between Saskatchewan and, and BC and and I'm not saying like there's a lot of benefits that come with living in a province like Saskatchewan that you don't get from BC and vice versa. Sure, sure, <clears throat> and of one of the things that uh, is very different about Saskatchewan is when I go home and say I'm a game designer, people are like, oh, I didn't even consider that that was a job. I mean, I guess it makes sense. Video games have to come from somewhere, but I just never considered that to be Sure, a just a totally like, different paradigm of, oh, wow, a unicorn. Yeah, exactly. And then, but but then in, in BC, it's like, oh, I work in, in game development. They're like, oh, yeah, I know, I know somebody I have like 12 friends who work at EA. Do you know any of them? Right. Like it's really, totally... it's just, a, it's like a, a friend is a barista at Starbucks and you're like, Oh yeah, yeah I'm a barista. Okay. I got you. A lot of the people, well, the, uh, the majority of the people that I know work in, um, game development or animation or TV. Wow. Like it, it's, uh, um, that's awesome. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty close to like, Vancouver proper, right? Yeah, okay, I gotcha. And the surrounding area, most people... Is it a culture? Is it just like they're built around the infrastructure of like the jobs in that sector? You know what I mean? Yeah, because like there's a lot of, there's a lot of film. The the film industry is really big in Vancouver. Yes. A lot of even American TV shows like United States will come up to film in Vancouver because of uh, certain tax breaks that they get or something like that. Wow, awesome. Okay, okay. Yeah, and then... A big part of the reason why studios like game studios start in Vancouver is there. There's a number of reasons. One of them is there's a lot of crossover between animation, film, and video games. As far sure. as the like, because video games need animation, right? And right. and lighting and audio and all that stuff um, is transferable across. Like it's it's a very it's the entertainment industry, right? Yeah. To sum it all up. Yeah. Okay. So, <clears throat> so the entertainment industry is really big in in. Vancouver and the surrounding area. And there are other places in Canada where there there's a little bit of growth, but BC is kind of the 
mildest place to live in terms of weather. And weather is a big concern for a lot of Canadian <laughs> citizens. Yes. And yes. because a lot of our talent is transferable across the border, we get a lot of people from the States and send a lot of people to the States. We don't send as many people. It's harder to get jobs down there as it is. Um, it's but harder. from coming from the South, though, I can imagine that yeah. weather is a preference as well. Yeah. And it's, there's a, it's a beautiful there's a, city. There's a studio in Edmonton, BioWare. Oh, really? BioWare's in Edmonton? Yeah, they have they have a location in Edmonton. I had no idea. I had absolutely and no idea. That that's it. That makes it difficult for them to hire people because some people cannot handle the winters in Edmonton because it Edmonton. gets really cold. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they have it as part of their interview process and application process. Can you handle minus forty degrees Celsius? Holy smokes! Of, of right. Weather and. Yep. Because they have, there's pe- they've hired people and then and then the people leave because they're like I can't live here. Wow. So okay. and okay. then there's uh there's a few studios in there are a few studios in Montreal as well. So you were so you were looking with your dad and you were looking yeah. at schools you Googled it and then you just what you thought well I could do this or it's I can't make the excuse that they don't exist or what what was your where was your mind at when you saw that I was like whoa I could make this happen <laughs> I could be a game designer. <laughs> so just gotta do it. Yeah. So uh, I came across Vancouver Film School. That was like the, one of the top um, search results. They have they have very optimal search engine optimization strategies. They paid Google a lot of money. <laughs> I don't know about that. But, uh, okay. <laughs> but okay. I don't know. They – yeah, their biggest thing, um, they do a really good job of marketing themselves. So Sure. Okay. Um, so they really they stood out to me. I had a good time there. No school is perfect, um, sure. But yeah, the the thing about video game development is, or going to school for it is typically the education process is pretty quick, because the best way to learn a, <laughs> the best way to learn how to make a video game is to make lots of video games. And so, oh, put that uh, yeah. on your your wall. <laughs> Go figure. It's hard to teach. Um, because really? yeah, it's a very soft skill, right? It's sort of, it's like drawing or, um, painting or whatever. Like it's a very soft artistic skill that you just get better at as you do it. Okay. So there are definitely principles that, that you can teach, especially, especially around workflow and process and best practices in the workplace, stuff like that. The, the method, but not necessarily the way you do it. It's yeah. Well, the there, there is theory that. too. Like there are principles that are around like even just human psychology and, and how design of not just video games, but everything, right. We're designers. So you're trying to guide the user through a particular experience. And there are a lot of skills that you can learn from that, but a lot of it's just practice. Like they tell you, these are some things that you should, you should know before you make a video game. Now go make a video game and put it to use. Nice. Because it's Practical not. Application. Yeah. It's, sure. it's making video games as far as the design goes, because there's different parts to it. There's design and then there's technical chops. Coding. Yeah. Oh, um, yes and no. Like that's coding is included. Oversimplification. It, yeah. It's part of it. Yes. <laughs> it's part okay. of it. I layman speak me good English. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, I get it. Okay. So um <laughs> don't don't worry, I'll guide you, man. So when you 
enrolled, how long was school for you? Right. And then yeah, we'll was, get to where was, you are now. I was talking about how quick it was. Yeah. So right, right. Uh, Vancouver Film School has a one-year program. Wow. It's two years worth of credits crammed into one. So they basically just like rush you through the program as fast so as possible. So you didn't chintz on the education. You compressed it. Exactly. Essentially. Wow. And, and that, that worked out well for me because I had taken so long to decide what to do with my life. You gained but, a year. Yeah. Uh, at that point, I was like, oh, only one year. Because I was starting to get uh, – yeah, I, I was 23 at the time. I was starting to get a little bit concerned. About, well, if I go to school for four or five years, then I'm nearing 30 and haven't started my career yet. So I was a little bit concerned about that. Okay. But, but then it was just – it was one year and then immediately coming out of school. Almost immediately coming out of school, I got a job. And there are some other stu- or, um, schools in, in Vancouver and the surrounding area – uh, some of them are, I think there's, there's one program that I work with a few people that went to, uh, at the art Institute. Um, they have a, I think it's a two year program. Okay. So nothing's really excessively long. The thing about Vancouver film school is that it's, it was very intense. It was, they told us ahead of time. So I was prepared for it. It was, so I would be at school from Monday through Saturday uh, anywhere between eight to 12 hours a day. And then I, w- there were other guys who's, and girls who stayed there longer. They would do the full, they would basically be there all the time. They'd be there wow. for, for seven days a week. Wow. But I, I need, I knew that I needed to at least take one day off a week to give myself a break. And at, I, I had learned at that point, it, anything that if I'm putting in six, six out of seven days a week, Anything that doesn't get finished is not going to get finished. That's that's a uh, sort of a thing that I made it. I made up my mind about that ahead of time. Unpack that. So what do you mean? Like it? You, you when you give it when you give it your all, but then when you take a break or you rest or stop, and you're like, hey, that's enough. It's it's done. Yeah. Like you, you don't it's, go back to it's, it. Or? It's knowing how hard to push yourself because the problem with video games this is the first thing I le- learned, and it really helped me with art creation in general. That. Um, the first thing, one of the first things I learned at Vancouver Film School that blew my mind is a video game is is never finished, and wow, uh, video games ship the bugs that you see in video games. The developer most likely already knows about them. The problems that you see with the design, where you're like, I can't believe they they put this in the game. Why didn't they change this? The developer probably already knows about them because making video games is. Um, you have there's sort of like this triangle you have scope was it scope um i can't remember all the parts to it now scope time and money i think is what it is i think those are the three so scope time money okay yeah. so yeah so scope is how big the game is yes time we know what that is when when is it going to hit the streets and yeah and money is your budget so you get to pick two of those three things so either you Every make time. Yeah. Every time? Yeah. Either you so, make either you make a big game with a big budget, but you don't have much time to ship it, or you make a small game with a big budget and um and more time or whatever. You know, like it the the more you pull in one direction, the more it stresses the other one. Because I if see. you make a really big game, then you need lots of time and lots of money. 
So the the more that yeah, you you start to really stretch. Did you did you struggle with that at first? Because you said that you were fortunate enough to get a job right away, and I guess we might as well camp on this one for now because it was it was going to be something we were going to touch on. So you just kind of naturally went there because mm-hmm. you 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 worked at a few different. Correct me, I'm, I'm trying to simplify it, but like you worked at a few different firms before EA. It wasn't that you bounced around. You did contract work. Is that right? Firms. Like it was. I wouldn't call them firms. <laughs> Oh, sorry. That, that, feels, that feels way too like above Formal. my it's, above it's my the world. pay grade. It's the world I'm from. I'm sorry. So, uh, video game companies. Yeah, I don't know. Studio, I think, is probably that's that's right. Yeah. That's the word. Uh, you know, you were fortunate enough to get you know a few different studios, and you did some contract work, and then you you ended up at EA. But when you first started working. Did you have an idea already because of school? Like this is this is going to be it. When they tell me there's a deadline and I'm still not happy with my final buggy submission or it's not totally what I want it to be, did you eventually have to like get used to? Uh, it's not perfect and it's never going to be, but this is as good as it's going to be right now, yeah. and I have to submit it. Like what? How did your mind adapt to so, that that mentality? It's. I learned in school in at Vancouver Film School to be like okay this project that is not finished like i just need to submit it and it's as good as it's gonna get they're gonna give me a mark the marks don't matter it's about what i learned so in at school it was it was safer because they even tell you at vancouver film school your marks do not matter it's not about getting good marks it's about making it's about making a good impression because the uh the the number one thing about going to Van- Vancouver Film School and maybe – and yeah, some of the other schools too definitely have this advantage. Uh, I think VFS, Vancouver Film School, is, is – is, I don't know if they're the best for it, but they're really high up there in, in terms of networking. So going okay. to school is like – it's an interview. It's a year-long interview because all your instructors have friends in the industry – a lot of the instructors, especially the ones that show up in the evening for the evening classes, they're, they just finished work at their studio wow. and they're coming to teach you how to make video games after having just spent a day making a video game. Ugh. And Ugh. they, so you, you, um, yeah, so th- that's why they, they focus on, it's not about marks, make a good impression and obviously don't fail. Because then nobody, then that's a horrible impression that you've just made. No, but but, I mean, when you then were given, so when you graduated and you jumped into that world, were you already used to that culture? Did they embed that culture of it's never going to be finished and what's good enough is good enough? Or was it, what did you take away from that? You know, see, yeah, that's, that's the thing is when I was in school, it was safe because it's not about the marks. It's about making a good impression. So I would just work as, as, as hard as I could to get the best result. And then when the deadline came or when I felt like I've done enough work on this project already, I could, I could work it to death and I'm not sure how much better it's really going to get. So then I would just submit it. A lot of times it was like, I'm, I'm tired and I know I can, I'm, I can read where my body's at and I know that I'm burning out. So I'm going to, I'm going to take the weekend and, and not finish this. And, um, and just submit it as is, but getting into, so, but then going into, um, the actual development, it, it's harder because now instead of submitting it to an instructor, who's going to be like, yeah, this is pretty good. Um, I saw your work ethic. I recognize that you work hard. 
And, you know, now you're submitting it to an audience who doesn't see the work that you've put in it and has this assumption. There's a, there's a big assumption out there that video game developers are lazy. And so, um, and so I, I, I always grew up thinking that they were, you guys were just really relaxed, but I mean, no, definitely not. <laughs> no. Uh, okay. All right, so, fair enough. um, yeah. So now you're sending it out to an audience who has very high expectations and, um, game developers are very, or not game developers, game consumers. I know cause I'm one of them. Right. And I was, right, right, I've been right, a right. consumer longer than I've been a developer that we want things a specific way. Uh, it, it's, it's meant to be a fun experience and it's very easy for the experience to become boring or frustrating. And that's the developer's fault. And that's, that's the designer's fault and designers need to take ownership of that. Um, mm. and, and so that's where in, it becomes intimidating when I've worked my butt off and I know that this product, like, yeah, I know the product product is not as good as it could be. And I know that a lot of designers really struggle with that where some won't even play their game after it gets shipped because they just see all the problems with it and they can't. Where you're just so done with it yeah. and you've put so much time and then you were forced to release it and maybe you're a person of excellence or at least you know that there was a glaring hole. Yep. And and now you're like, well, it's out there because it's the best I could do. So on the project I'm working on right now, I can't talk about it because in detail nope, nope. because it hasn't been announced yet. No problem. Absolutely. But, um, but yeah, that's that's an issue that I'm running into. I've, I've been really frustrated lately um, and really stressed out because – there are a lot of issues that were that are surfacing now in our internal playtests where we play the game, and it's hard to know. Like, there's this this the elegant solutions that we want to do. It's too late to make those changes. So usually you discover your what your major problems are when it's too late to make the changes that you want to make to fix those problems. So you have to come up with other ways to fix them. So when, when people talk about creativity in game development, it's not so much can you come up with a good idea. Everybody's got ideas. That's actually one of the easiest parts. The hard part is coming up with a creative solution to problems. So that's the majority okay, so of I, my unpack job. Unpack that. Unpack that, though. I think that's really key, especially for everyone listening, too, because I don't think it's just for video games, but I, I think that's actually an incredibly powerful concept. Yeah. Is say? Do you mind touching that again? Just it's just say it over again if you don't mind. I don't remember what I said. <laughs> <laughs> okay, it's okay. It's okay. What did like, I say? It just, you, you, well, you just touched on how it's it's not necessarily about everyone has great ideas. It's not about the great idea. It's about the what? What did you say? Feasible solutions. It's about coming up with solution? creative creative solutions to difficult creative solutions oh, for problems, yeah. for the. Idea. That's where the creativity comes in. Is like, can you solve this problem? And. I mean, there definitely is a, a level of coming like there, there, there definitely is a space for, okay, we need a new idea, right? We need new content. Where do we start? Uh, and that's a lot of fun. I, I got, I got to do that on this last project. I didn't get to do it as much on the previous project, but, um, yeah. So no, as, as far as the process you've had to learn though is, <clears throat> so you've been in that culture long enough where you're like. Well, it's never going to be perfect, but it's fun to create. It's fun to grow. It's fun to build something. 
but it's two sides and it's kind of the balance. It's you, you get the free flowing dream casting, right? Where you're like, well, we could do this or what if it happens this, but then it now comes to when it's all on paper, you're like, well, how the heck do we actually make this into something? Yeah. And tangible. that's interesting that you touched on the paper because there is, there's, there's two main parts to game design, video game design. Okay. So there's the, there's the paper design and then there's the implementation. I guess there's three parts. There's the paper design implementation and then the problem solving. So paper design is usually how you start. And at Vancouver Film School, they get us to make a board game before they get us to make anything else. Uh, really? Yes. A board game? Yes. It's our, our first project is a board game. And, and it's interesting because people who, don't under, who, who aren't really uh, into game design and game theory don't understand why. For me, it was very obvious early on. I was like, that makes sense. Because video games come with so, come with so much fluff. And... As a game designer, your job is to learn how to focus on mechanics. What is the player doing? What are, what are, we talk a lot about verbs, player verbs. What's the, what are the actions that the player can take? Um, and the thing about making a board game is it limits you to only using the components that are absolutely necessary for the experience that you want to create. So a video game has all kinds of feedback you push a button, something happens. There's audio, visual, tactile. Your controller vibrates. Um, right. There's there's like a story in a lot of video games. Those high, those triple A high budget uh, single player experiences like Uncharted have these you know really elaborate cutscenes with performance capture. They're really expensive. It's like watching a you know, a movie. A, a movie. It's a movie. It's a, yeah, it's like a Hollywood blockbuster that you're, that you're in. And and when you, if I was to ask, this happens a lot. If you ask somebody who hasn't been uh, trained yet how to like pitch me a video game, a lot of people will pitch a story or um, a visual art style or a character or like. But what you're supposed to do, like a video game really, is decisions. What are the decisions that the player is going to make? And, uh, what, and that's where the verbs come from, right? Because video games, any kind of game really is all about making choices that matter. Right. In the, in the end product, right? You, you learn a lot just by um, studying sports as games. The, it's yeah. it's all about decisions that you can make, and that's why <laughs> our one of our board games instructors criticizes um, a lot of famous board games, um, snakes and ladders or shoots and ladders, as I guess they call it in the states, is argue, arguably not a game because there's no choice. You roll the dice, then you move your piece that number yeah. of spaces, and then the board tells you what to do when you land on said space. Right. And so it's more of a toy, really, than it is a game. Really? Yeah. And Snakes and Ladders, what I grew up with, is not – because I, I understand. I'm, I understand what you're saying is that um, – no, because I, I, it is all about choices and it's about actions and being able to control. Hence the game portion. It's, it's, it's up to you. Yeah. Right now, there's pretty linear stories, and then there's massive online open worlds. There's Skyrim and stuff like that as well. Yeah. Um, but you, you kind of – Touched on something though. You, you said earlier that video games have a lot of fluff, 
what fluff are you talking about? Are you talking about the conceptual fluff of trying to create it? Or are you talking about when every game is produced, there's fluff in it that doesn't what? Like what, what, what I meant by, by that was there's a lot of, cause you make a video game. The game takes care of so much for you, right? Take, um, take, a, a game. I don't know, like a, like a turn-based RPG. Well, you and I have been playing divinity too. Divinity, right. Yeah, that's right. Absolutely. Um, original Sin. Yeah, original Sin 2. Yeah. Try and make that into a board game. It becomes extremely complex because now there's no computer that's doing all the calculations Organizing. for you. That's you right. got to do it yourself. Yeah. And that's what I mean by fluff is that there's a lot of – I guess fluff is the wrong word, but there's a lot of things that the computer will do for you when making, it, when making it. a video game. It. And empowerment or it enables you with all the other stuff yeah. you don't have to worry about. Yeah, and that's right? that's something that a, a good game designer will learn how to use, right? And we have been. We we focus – like that's why it's important to have technical skill sets as a designer because you want to be able to pull that stuff off. Um, okay. You've got somebody writing okay. all these crazy formulas that, that you know, somebody's designing that artificial intelligence to – to know how to respond to your attacks. And um, if you increase the difficulty, it's easy to say, oh, let, yeah, let's increase the difficulty. What does that mean, though? How does, how does an AI become more how, difficult? How? And the simple solution is, oh, well, they have more health and more damage. But that's not an interesting solution because it's very binary and there's not a lot the player can do against it. How do you make right. an AI actually smarter? <laughs> so how do you yes. design it to respond to certain situations where it gets smarter? Anyways, that's a bit of a tangent. What I mean, though, is board games, you – like before you design any of that stuff, you need to learn how to design a game. Let's, so, so learning how to des design a board game strips out all of the computer doing stuff for you, and you have to do it all yourself. And it forces you – So cause and effect plus choice. Not just putting a concept in thin air, but saying there's cause and effect. When you do this in a board game, the following can happen based on your selection, and that's a game. Yeah, it forces you to strip out all the things where it's like, um, you know, like well, the pretty graphics. We, yeah, and, the, and we take a lot of we take a lot for granted in real time action games, right? The fact that I pull the trigger, I've been playing a shooter, I pull the trigger, the bullet travels, and then hits somebody. Um, and what's actually happening under the hood in the sim is like it it's it's every every video game is basically turn based right because it's just action games the turns happen so fast and technically they happen simultaneously so it's 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 debatable whether they're turn based or not but the the simulation is running at whatever like 30 frames a second or 60 frames a second depending on whether you're playing an online game or not or whatever but it's doing all those steps it's just doing them really, really, really fast. So right. when so okay. you just get a lot of stuff for free, right? Oh, I shoot this bullet and then it hits my target. And depending on whether that target was moving or not, changes whether I hit them, whether I'm moving or not, changes the tra trajectory of the bullet. There's there's a lot of mechanics like that that you don't think about unless you're forced to strip all that stuff away. It's like try and make a first person shooter in a board game, right? And um, it's <laughs> probably never going to happen. Um, because but what you've just shown though yeah. is especially with the the board game I I love it first off I think that's actually it, it, you said it already that teaching video games is hard like mm -hmm. it's a, it's a soft skill there's a lot that can grow from it so let me ask you this thing because we're gonna we're gonna kind of sidestep a little sure. bit but 
you've already painted the picture of the process you had to go through, the, the board games, the stuff you're working on right now already. You're, you're hitting bugs. You're hitting troubleshooting. You've got it, – it's not – I'm trying to be nice too because I have nothing against linear careers as well. You, you, you know, it, it, you're going to run into problems in every job that you have, but you know, at least when, when you go on site – um, you, you typically can work until the you know nighttime. For example, if you work outside, if you're a layman, you know laborer, um, you know when sundown. Depending on the situation, you, you get to be able to shut your brain off. I can't work. I can't pick up the hammer for the rest of the evening. You know it's time to go home, right? The the boss has shut down the the generator and the lights are off. I can't work anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, but I almost assume, depending on who you are, but it strikes me that this career can easily be on your mind all the time. I, maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so let me ask you this thing, because this is, you know, we were touching on the other day. We were just talking, but especially with the world you now get to play with. And I'm going to use the word play with because you don't. Yes, yes, it is. It is a very tough job. And you have to now you've already explained to us for those out there that are still trying to wrap their brain around it. Essentially, you're making virtual board games for us. Yeah but very in depth. And now when we say, Oh, like, I just wish like I, I I've done it, but I'm, I'm holding a controller. I'm like, Oh, I wish that like, if this happened, this would be the result. And you're in, already in the background thinking we already thought of that. It doesn't work because of this and this, but you can't tell me that I'm the consumer. Yeah. Okay. So two things we'll we'll unpack both. But the first one is how do you avoid the, the work life imbalance? How do you actually turn it? Did it take you a while or were you not that, uh, you know, overwhelmed at first because maybe it was fun. It was okay to have it on the brain. And then you were too not, you know, you didn't have all the expertise to keep it on your brain. Cause you're like, well, I've thought all of it. I'll talk to my supervisor tomorrow. Um, how do you deal with the, literally the open sandbox that you have as a career choice? So just to clarify the question you're asking about me basically like bringing work home with me in my head. Yeah. You don't have an easy linear job. It's problem solving as soon as you get on site and then when you leave. So how do you how do you balance the I've done it with excellence? I could easily pour four to five extra hours of overtime. You said that the other day. Yeah. You're like I could easily work overtime every single day. Yeah. But then you said something very interesting uh, yesterday. You said that, but I burn out super fast when I try that. So it's like you can't have the best of both worlds. Just like your your scope, money, and time. It's like either I could pour in all this overtime, but not live, yeah. <laughs> or or I I have to shut it down, be frustrated in the brain, and and go back to it the next day. Like, how do you balance it? Yes, taking work home with you. Yeah, it's it's so there's sort of two parts to it, as far as taking work home with you. There's this stuff just needs to get done, and it always takes way longer than you expect it to take because you're working through technology. So that's one thing that just makes video games harder than board games. In my opinion, I haven't made a career out of board games, making board games. So I don't know, but I have made board games before where if you, once you design the board game on paper, then you get to make the board game and it's, it, it's very tactile, right? Like, Oh, I cut this the wrong way. That's fine. Yes. I'll just print it out again and cut it again, right? Um, right. Sometimes there can be to- like complications, but it's not. It's not. It's it's very different than working through a computer because you're basically sp- speaking a different language. You're using you're using sure. multiple translators to get through to this thing. So, sure. um, where was I going with that? <laughs> I, well, you know, you you said. You, 
you know, we regard, I don't know, you're, you're touched on the board game aspect and, and it's what that's physical, that's yeah. tactile. So where you can allude to that you work in a digital world or you work in a, a, a hypothetical world that you have to bring to media or, or well, what? I think what I, where I was going with it is there's, there's the two parts. There's, there's, oh yeah, that's what I was talking about. There's the stuff that needs to get done and it always takes longer than you expect because it's through a computer. Then there's also the stuff that needs to get solved. You don't need to be at work for that. You'll if yes. I, an idea yeah, will come to you as you're falling asleep at night or in the shower. Sure, sure. So there's that aspect of it. Sure. Um, as far as I'll talk about the second one first. As far as like taking the problem solving home with me, I find that. I mean, this is this is proven of create of of creativity. It is much more easy. It's much more easier. It's much easier to come up with an idea, uh, a solution to a problem when you're not trying to. Um, or okay, like the it's, ideal. It's much easier to come up with a solution when you're not trying yeah. to. So this happens a lot. Creative people get their best ideas not when they're sitting at like sitting at their computer. Like I need an idea. What should I do? Um, that's useful because your brain is working on it, but it usually comes to the solution when you're not working on it. So creative people get their best ideas right before bed when their brain is most relaxed. Um, or like a lot of the times what I'll do is if I'm sitting at my, my desk and I can't figure out, it could be a technical problem. It could be a design problem, whatever. If I can't figure out a solution, there are a number of things that I'll try. I will stand up and walk around the office um, yeah, I'll just, I'll just, I'll just do a lap around the building, just walking, thinking about the problem. And then eventually something will come to me, um, or I'll talk to somebody else about it. So as far as taking it home with me goes, um, I, I, I find, I mean, I'm, I'm still trying to figure out how to balance I'm in, I'm in, I'm in the midst of it right now, trying to figure out how to balance what I take home with me and what I don't and how late I stay sure. at work. So I'm still figuring it out. But where sure. I'm at right now is I tend to just, when I leave work, um, I, I try and force myself not to think about stuff uh, and let my brain rest because sometimes focusing on the problem uh, is not what you need. So on the drive sure. home today, like I, I had to leave. I, um, I had to leave so that I could come do this podcast, right? And so I was like, well, I should leave and make sure I'm not rushed to do this podcast. So um, there was a bug that I was trying to fix, and I found a potential solution just as I was leaving. I was like, oh, I think this is how I fix this bug. And on the drive home, I kept thinking about it. And I was like, I should probably just let my brain rest a little bit. And when I come back tomorrow, I'll come back fresh and uh, and I'll be able to solve it. No problem. That consistently happens for me. And, and that kind of leads me into the, the next point, which is staying late to finish something. Um, sure. sometimes you just got to stay late to get stuff done because it's like, it's just putting in the legwork. Sometimes it's, it's just like data entry. I just need to do this. I just need to like copy paste or put these numbers in here or like hook this asset up to this asset, whatever. Um, and, and that stuff just needs to get done. But sometimes again, it's like there's times where I'm like, I'm going to stay late tonight and fix bugs. And then 6 PM, which is when I finish work comes around and I'm, I've been staring at a bug for like 
an hour or two and I'm like, I don't know how to fix this thing. Right. I know that me staying to fix it is not necessarily not going to yield results, but it's going to be not nearly as effective. I'm not going to be as efficient as I would it, uh, if I just left and came back tomorrow morning and I tackled it with, uh, f- with a fresh perspective. Because you're stuck there. That's all you see. That's all you hear about. And your brain is literally in a thought pattern where you're like, I, I've explored all the crevices of my brain right yeah. now that I have available. I need to take a breather and allow my brain to maybe naturally figure it out or at least to check it out with fresh eyes the next day. Yeah, because kind of it's, it's amazing how much your brain does while you're sleeping, actually, which is a whole different topic. But sure. your, your brain is basically reconstructing everything that you learned for the day. It's, it's going over everything while you're asleep. So just as a bit of a side note, when I did hip-hop dance, um, I, would, yes. <laughs> I would spend like, uh, you know, like a few hours learning choreography. And it would feel like you didn't get anywhere. And then the next day you come back and your brain, like, you just know it all. And, um, that's not, that's not uncommon. And that's because you're like, when you feel like you can't learn anymore, um, you're still learning. It just doesn't feel like it because you're tired and your, your brain is having a hard time retaining it all. But then you go to sleep and your brain does the whole, like it reviews everything you learned for the day and it solidifies it. And then you come back, not tired the next day. And then it's like, oh yeah, all the stuff that you learned yesterday, I did like a major backup overnight and here it is. So that's why coming in with a fresh perspective can help. However, there are times in the past where, um, that's why I said it's not unproductive to work late necessarily. It just becomes less efficient. So there are times where, uh, in the recent past, like a few weeks ago, I, I, I put in a few very long hour days to help my manager get some stuff done. He, he was like, I need to get this done by this deadline. It just got dropped on us. Can, it was yeah, a deadline. can you help me? And, and I was it, like, yeah, absolutely. I'll, I'll stay late to get this done. And at that point, I know that I'm losing efficiency as the night goes on. But if it's, and so that's where the judgment call needs to be made is, is my loss of efficiency, um, going to, uh, of me working late, going to make a difference, make a big enough difference that I should go home right now. So with a very tight deadline, like we had three days, he was like, creative director just said, we got to get this done by Wednesday and it's, and it's Monday. And I was like, Oh, well, I wish you would have told us that earlier. And we were both like, yeah, we'll give, we'll give the leadership feedback that sometimes we feel like stuff gets dumped on us. Um, very last minute. And that's, that's a common thing in game development because sure. we have to be very agile and there's ways to prevent it, but it takes a lot of time to develop those, those work habits. And, um, yeah. So anyways, in that moment, it's like, okay, yeah, as the night go is going on, I can feel myself losing efficiency. And that's the scary part is you lose efficiency before you feel it. And, um, what I mean by that is if if at hour, like, so you're working overtime, you go past it eight hours. Now you're at hour 10 and you start to feel, oh, I, I'm not working as efficiently as it was before. You start to catch little mistakes that you wouldn't make before. Things that, yes. things that normally you'd solve way faster or taking you way longer to solve. Your efficiency has dropped much sooner than the 10 hours. 
So it'll get done in the time frame you need it to because it's a means to an end. You're it, three, for example, three days. You're gonna work less efficiently, yeah. but you have to put in the hours because there's only so many hours in a day you can put into yeah. a period. And but if the idea was efficiency, maybe you'd have a more kind of balanced schedule right. to make you know. And that's yeah, what I try okay. and do overall is I try and I try and work my eight hours and be effective, be efficient during those eight hours. Um, there's a lot of interruptions in the game development industry because there's so much uh, depend. There's so many dependencies between departments because there's programmers, um, audio, VFX, animators, artists. Uh, there's different types of artists. There's character artists, world artists. Um, there are performance guys uh, that are focused on making sure that we hit 60 frames per second. There's um, the networking programming guys, if you're doing like a multiplayer game, well, every game's online now, so you always need network programmers. Like, there's so many dependencies. So I go up to people all the time, I'm like, I need help with this. And then they have to stop what they're doing to help me. And so learning how to be efficient within that time and how to respond to people in, in a way that's extremely efficient and divide up my time. And if that means, hold on one second, I need to finish this, like, that's a big part for me, is I usually need to finish my my train of thought right before moving on yes. to something else. Otherwise no. I lose efficiency. So that's right. what I try and do. Um, but usually towards the end of the project, it's like, okay, we're going to like overtime is sprinting and the entire, the project as a whole is a marathon and you really only want to sprint at the very end. If possible, maybe there's a few sprints throughout where it's like we got to hit a deadline, like E3 is a big one. If you're working at a sure. studio that wants to put a product up for E3, uh, you'll... Well, that's your marketing extravaganza. Yeah. That's your, your launch for at least enough of a show because that's you got universal audience and universal buy-in if you make a good impression yeah. there. It makes sense. Um, let me ask you this then because I, you know, I think that, A, you did a great job unpacking that. I love the analogy. Okay. Because I think it's true. That's I, good. Well, no, no, you're doing you're doing a really good job. Because I I, I think that this applies to everyone. Uh, I I I think it's awesome that video game design is actually kind of a thing that it so well encompasses. I I especially struggled with that. I mean, I worked in a way less fun and creative uh, environment. Actually, it was very rigid. I worked in insurance right. for five years, and I mean, but I took home uh, work home with me right. all the time because there were deadlines tomorrow. There were contracts people I had to meet. Um, the problem was though that I could. Opt, opt to try to do some stuff at nighttime. But I, I agree with you. I felt the same way where I'm like, I could spend this time resting and attempt to maybe even get to the office earlier tomorrow or to just give her my all the mm -hmm. next day or I could get it done. And the days I did have to work late because of a late night sale or something like that, I noticed myself slowing down. I noticed, but I'm like, I have no choice. I have to get this in by 10 p.m. or something like that. And so You've already painted a picture because I'm going to segue here for one sure. last thing, and then I want to I want to get into some of the fun stuff before we close here. But you've already painted the complexity. You know, like you said, your journey, the the board game of learning how to think. It wasn't just ideas. I think that's so awesome. Where it's like video game design isn't just ideas. If anything, that's the fun part, which is like maybe ten to twenty percent. Now it's finding out the executable processes to get that idea tangible. Yeah. Right to to make it something. So when you say, "Well, I want his you know upgrade to be a super jump," well, that sounds like a great idea, but how high and how long can it last for, and what is it not able to do? Like all of a sudden, you're like, "Oh, that it take, it sucks all the fun out of it," <laughs> you know. Yeah. But 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 
that's the world you operate in. Look how big it is. So let me ask you this then, because we also alluded to it. I haven't given you nearly enough time to kind of <laughs> rant about it or just even touch on it. But the consumer market and your job is literally people pleasing. Yes. In a very complex way. I know every single job is customer service oriented, but you think about the amount of work you have to put in. Does it, I mean, you can quickly answer the, the, the carnal question of, does it drive you crazy when someone's like, oh, like this game sucks. Like it just does this, or it, this is so annoying, or look at these graphics, they're terrible. Look at this bug. But secondly, how, because I was talking about the Game of Thrones thing mm-hmm. last week. Okay. Again, a plug for everyone. If you haven't listened to that episode, I encourage you to listen to it. It's just, I'm not a Game of Thrones fan. Neither is Dustin. <laughs> Ironically, his older brother was the reason why I had heard of oh, Game of Thrones. Uh, you, you told me about it in a movie theater, actually. Do you remember the movie we watched? I do not remember this moment. I, I guess <laughs> you'll have to watch or listen to uh, last okay. week's podcast because I remember the movie. <laughs> um, it was weird. Um, <laughs> but cloud how do you deal? Okay. No, okay. it was not. It was anonymous, that Shakespeare one. Oh, Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It was not memorable, <laughs> but, we, but we watched it. And I remember you leaning over and being like, I was asking what shows you were into. And you're like, I'm not really into anything right now, but my brother's watching this new show called Game of Thrones. <laughs> and it sounded boring, but obviously I was wrong. But, um, but without the, the whole thing of you literally having to be a people pleaser, how with Game of Thrones, they were so outraged in the final season. They got a petition online. It's probably even bigger now, but at the time of the recording, it was over a million signatures. <laughs> To force, quote unquote, force the writers, the director, and and, and you know uh, the, the the author to change it to better suit what everyone wanted. Mm-hmm. You know, with you, you're in that same boat of you produced a product, and you're not going to have everyone happy. But how do you balance that relationship of the consumer and the creator? And you don't have to touch on my topic. My topic was like, does the creator sometimes, if the product is too beautiful and good, and it's benefited? way more people does the creator have sole right to still say yay or nay to a project or does the democracy in the crowd suddenly be able to have a right to it because it benefited everyone don't touch on that you don't have to but like how do you balance that where you are putting your heart and soul and mind into all this and yet you know you're not going to satisfy everyone how does it bother you you know what have been your experiences you know just touch on that so the first question was how do i respond when people say oh this game Socks or whatever. Yes. Yeah. That's the first little so, fun one. Yeah. That's real right. quick. I have noticed that myself and other people I work with too, I think we become more defensive of video games because we understand the process. But what's well, your world? Sorry. That's yeah, your yeah, world. Exactly. That's all. Um, so uh, especially, yeah. I, I mean, I, <laughs> but my problem is that I'm like, I'm a consumer as much as I'm an entertainer. And so I'm right. on both sides and everybody who's in the entertainment industry is on both sides. Um, I also understand, I, I also understand that like if, if the solution to have people understand what it's like to make video games is to get them into the industry and make them video, make them video game developers, that's not a realistic solution. So being in the industry has definitely made me more, um, sympathetic towards game developers, but at the same time, I want to keep my wits sharp, I guess. Like I want to still see games as the consumer sees them because if I just look at every product and be like, well, I understand that it was difficult for them. And then I expect like consumers to have that same no. uh, response, then, then I'm not doing myself yeah. any good. 
So it's it's definitely important, and and designers actually really love when people give them like just raw feedback, and that's a problem that sometimes happens in development. People because you like there's there's this really weird difference where you're you're sitting next to the person who made the game. Now you, all your feedback is sugar coated because you don't want to hurt their feelings. But you're on oh, a sure. Reddit forum at 3 a.m. because you know you ran into this issue that you think is absolutely baloney. You don't care at all about who made the game or what they feel like. And, um, yeah. So being on this side of things definitely helps me see, uh, I'm more sympathetic, but at the same time, I, I, that's not an excuse. It's not like, and so this sort of brings me into the second point. We've talked about this before, um, offline, I guess you could say is the relationship between developer and and consumer, like developer of entertainment of any kind and consumer is a really strange one right now. And I was talking to some friends about this the other day. I don't think, I don't like using the word entitled to describe uh, consumers. And I also don't like using the word greedy to describe developers. And this is my reasoning. First of all, if I say, well, the reason that people don't like this game is because they're entitled. There's nothing I can do about that. It doesn't change the fact that they don't like my game. It doesn't change the fact that we're not making any money. It's just a nature thing yeah. you stated. It's, it's, it is and the way even it is. If it, even if it, that's true, that like, first of all, how do you even measure entitlement compared to what it was 10 years ago, people are always like, oh, kids these days are so entitled. How do you know? Yeah, like, yeah. I, do you remember what you were like when you were a kid? Do you remember how entitled you felt? Yes. How can you measure that? Exactly. I don't know. So exactly. maybe, maybe not. Maybe they're less entitled. It's hard to tell. Um, and, and then the other thing is um, for um, – from the creator's perspective, for, for us to say that they're greedy – it's like, well, it, every company's main purpose is to make money, right? Like that's that we you have, have to. to. And so it's oxygen. and so to to say a company's greedy is sort of like, yes, they are, right? Like it's another it's it, from the other side. It's the same statement where it's like this is the nature of things and it's not going to change. And so I think what one of the main problems is. Um, from the, de- this is something that bothers me from the developer side is, and I think this is fairly new in the entertainment industry. And it's, 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 I think it's because it's becoming more prominent in our culture right now is, um, like the victimhood mentality, right? Where you okay. can, like, nobody likes to actually be a victim because being a victim sucks. But if you can convince people that you're a victim or play the victim card, suddenly you don't have any responsibility. And, um, and I, I've seen that in game developers before where they say, uh, like, Oh, poor us. People are just hating on our game. Poor us or hating on our movie. Poor us. Right. That doesn't work. (laughs) And this, that's the part that bothers me is like, you're in this industry to make money. You have to know who your consumers are. And if you're making a product for a consumer that's entitled, then you need to be prepared for that. 
So on the games that I've worked on in the past, it's been really hard where when I go to read on the forums and people are like, we release a balance patch on a game that I worked on and I'm the only one on the team making those balance patch decisions and implementations. And everybody's like the balance. I'm just reading these comments about how the balance team needs to get fired. And I'm like, I'm Whoa. the balance team. Wow. Like, it's just me. Yeah. <laughs> There's no team. It's just me. I am our, the balance team. project doesn't have enough funding for a team. It's just me making these decisions by myself. And people want me fired. And they don't understand the reasoning behind the decisions. And also, I'm super new to the industry. So I don't even know what I'm doing here. <laughs> and I'm, like, I'm basically a lead. And I've been in the industry for like two years at the time. Um, in those cases, it's like I a lot of the advice that I get from coworkers is you don't read those posts. And this is something that I really like about comedians, especially I've been listening to a lot of Bill Burr. He just yes. doesn't care. Burr. He's like, so he's, he he's like, I don't care. I mean, I go up on stage and I kill it every time. And, and there's also this, this idea of if you don't like my comedy, then, then don't, then don't show go up. Don't listen. Um, which, yeah is actually something that I don't think works for all industries. Uh, I think it works for comedy because, because that's sort of the attitude of comedians, right? Like, yeah, spunky, yeah. edgy. And, but Bill it. Burr, like he's been asked before, like, Oh, did you see this meme about you? And he's like, I never Google myself. <laughs> right? He's like, yes. I don't read stuff about myself. Like it's, it'll leave you depressed. And, um, and so that's that's the hard part. You got to take feedback, but at the same time, like, don't go to the places where you know you're just going to get negative feedback. But right, uh, like, I'm I'm sort of rambling a little bit, but this like there's no, there's no, also okay. the idea like from the Star Wars creators where um, I'm trying to remember. Like, well, I think one of the things was like, oh, no matter what we make, um, the the Star Wars fans are just so hard to please, right? As, and like that, I think that again stating in nature, yeah, of it's and I think that statement came from one of the leaders, and it's like doesn't matter how true that is. You chose to make a Star Wars movie, and yes. that it's like this is your target market. Don't then attack, like don't retaliate against the people that don't like what you've made, and like take ownership, take responsibility, and be like, this is our market. And if you don't want to continue making movies for this market, then the option is either either we make something, we figure out what they want, and we make it, or um, or we keep doing what we're doing. We stick to our guns because it is making us money. We know the market. We know we the want. market we want. Or you just stop, but you don't say, "Well, these people are hard to please." Like that's such an immature way to deal with with an audience mm. that doesn't like what you're making and video game developers have done it too. There was a, I won't say the game, but there was a game that came out and um, gamers got really upset about a particular thing because it wasn't historically accurate. And, um, sure. and one of the marketing people or whatever, I can't remember who it was tweeted something like, well then don't buy our game. And that's just like such an immature way to deal with, you yeah. made it. <laughs> you want people to buy it. Was the game, it was mostly historical, and you backed off on a historical quirk that they pointed out. You got to yeah, know. And, and, um, and 
The thing is, when I talked to my friend about it, he explained to me that the historical thing we, was actually accurate. It was just uh, wasn't well known. And so I was like, gotcha. that should have been the correction, <laughs> you know, like, I don't know. I think, I think there's actually, we looked into this, you know, we worked very yeah, hard. There's, at it there's more that developers can do to be like, we're, we hear you and we're going to do our best. So then you've, so then you've kind of taken us through that. I mean, so then it, you don't know the context, but I mean, Game of Thrones, mm -hmm. there was a lot of care, no spoilers for those that are still waiting, my wife included. Uh, I already know the spoilers because that is literally my lifestyle is I don't have time to watch these shows. So I'll literally watch Mojo the crap yeah. out of it or I'll look it up on Google because I don't I couldn't be I can't be yeah. bothered. But I have so much curiosity. I'm like, I have to know who dies. I have to know who lives. And um, so anyways, but with Game of Thrones, you know, they created all this, you know, George R. R. Martin's behind it and everything. The final season, the writers and apparently so many characters that have been loyal and have these these known character traits almost to the T because it's been what eight seasons I think of Game of Thrones it's to that point like with any TV show where you're like oh I know his characteristics I know how he would respond in the situation mm -hmm. I know what he would do in this pressure because I've seen it before a lot of them in the last four episodes they they kind of rushed it was what the consensus was and a lot of core characters who would never have done such and such did it only to fit an arc or a, a final resolution that you could clearly see was coming. You knew who right. was going to die, who knew who wasn't. So, you know, that's – it's just funny though because I – then if if you paint that picture and you – especially with the context you just gave me, it's not about the Game of Thrones. But I threw it out there loosely last week where I'm like, well, is there such a thing where the creation is so beneficial to everyone? Does the creator have the full right to be like, you know, we'll deal with it. This is my creation. This is my yeah. ownership. I think you brought a very interesting part where it's like, well, did he create it for others or not? Well, yeah, see, that's the thing is I don't think art is democratic by nature, right? Like right. it's not a democracy. And see, this is kind of where I, I'm, I'm, I'm unsure about what the solution is. There's, I can, it's easy to identify the problem. There's an issue. Uh, there's a schism in the relationship between content producer, uh, entertainment creator, whatever, and entertainment consumer. There's this weird thing where I don't like what you made me, right? Which is a sense of entitlement. And um, whether that's, you know, we talked about whether it's like more than it used to be or whatever. How do you know? And I don't like saying that the reason I don't like just calling it entitlement is because there's nothing you can really do about it. But there, in this case in particular, I think the the fans... Um, the fans are like they feel and they they feel like stakeholders, and I've seen that before on forums uh, regarding EA. Actually, I thought I saw my my coworker posted this really funny screenshot that was somebody on Reddit said, "I'm an investor in EA. I don't own any stock, and I haven't given them any like financial investments, but I spend a lot of time and money playing their games." <laughs> It's like right. You're, okay, you're not yeah, an investor. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, you're a consumer, and you are a consumer. Um, there's a there's a difference between consuming and investing. And other people on the forum kind of set him straight, him or her straight, and was like, dude, that's not how investing works. But it's sort of like this feeling where it's like, well, I've invested all my time into this thing. This is partially my creation too. It's my creation as much as it is your creation. Um. I think it's totally okay to have those feelings where it's like, I am super frustrated with the way this ended. I didn't like that at all. And, but 
but to then say you you now owe us right like these guys created a yeah. hit tv show um that's not easy to do and and i don't think they <laughs> i don't think they owe anybody anything they, if they no, like see that's the problem <laughs> To demand it, to be like, you guys you guys have to rewrite it. We're going to write this petition. First of all, nothing's going to happen from the petition. And, like, I don't know. No, no, I, I, I hear you. But, I mean, that's exactly what I touched on last week where I'm like, maybe there's an instance where you could argue. And, you know, I was just a loose devil's advocate where I'm like, is it – eventually is it, you know, something where it's a gift to the world at that point? The creator doesn't have the right to now trample or trash it even though he created it. And I still came around to the other side where I was like, but that was still the creator's yeah, creation. I don't... It would never have existed. You wouldn't have had the privilege to witness it had that person not by their own volition created I don't, it. I don't think um, the creator should ever lose the rights to their creation based off how many people like it or how many people are exactly. invested in it. Um, exactly. and, and by invested, I mean consuming, not like actual stakeholders and investors because that no, legitimately no. you can lose property. You can lose ownership of your intellectual property to something based off of, you know, people buying it off of you and stuff like that. But like, if I'm no. if I write a show, and it, it gets like tons of hits and it becomes the next Game of Thrones, and and now like, what would happen then if we lived in a world where the consumer could then like take control of the art? Who owns the the exactly. intellectual property who owns the copyright um who's getting royalties right like if if you say you we demand that you rewrite this uh episode for us or this season for us well then do do those people now start making money from it at what point like, do they say hey exactly. i've watched your tv show so many times i now demand that you give me royalties for it right like right that's kind of where the line is and obviously that's an extreme but I, uh, yeah, that's the, but that's the big picture. Yeah. Um, but that's overall dust is, is kind of what, you know, and I'm glad, I, I think we've had a well-rounded, right. We're going to obviously have to have you back because there were some other stuff where I'm like, Oh, we could have camped there right. for sure. But we time, time, <laughs> scope, exactly. exactly. Money. Right. See what I've learned. Um, <laughs> but I will say this, your answer. I, I'm glad we kind of did get to find a, a touch on it as we close. Um, I agree with that, especially because, like I said, you are in a people-pleasing market. Mm -hmm. um, your job is literally to produce something. Yes, you need to know your market. Yes, you need to be smart about it. Yes, you need to own up to your mistakes. Um, but at the same time, you also put in the work, blood, sweat, and tears. And if you know you have a good product or at least an okay product, again, because it's never going to be perfect, and then people are crapping on it, but you know that there's a market out there that does appreciate it, you don't you're not going to change it just because someone's like, I don't yeah. like it. You don't lose the creative Liberty. And I agree with that. So, um, I will say this, this is what I, I don't want to forget because I do want to plug it. You've done me a huge favor coming on the show. Uh, and thank you very much everyone for listening to Russ Rants. Again, you can follow me on social media. Um, I'm on Russ Rants on Instagram. Twitter is Russ Rants number one. And, uh, you can find me on anchor and all major podcast platforms and email any questions or show ideas to Russ at gmail.com. I want to plug Dustin's, I don't know if you call it sure. a band performing yeah, act, band. Uh, your gig. I'm going to call it a band, uh, brave balloons, yep. I believe. Um, and you have some stuff in the works 
I don't want to spoil anything unless you. It's common. Yeah, it's knowledge. common knowledge. We're working on uh, an album. Yeah, we we want people. They to are know working. <laughs> no, there you go. They're they're working on an album. You guys, they've released some really good, um, uh, really really great songs already. You can find them on Facebook. Is there any other group pages? Is it Facebook for now? Yeah, so far we just have Facebook. Uh, we have a YouTube okay. channel. Brave balloons. Well. Yeah. Perfect, and it's it's spelled how it sounds: brave space balloons. Um, look it up. You'll see Mr. Williamson and uh, some of his colleagues. Uh, it's uh, ukulele, in, ukulele folk music, I, I guess. I was going to say, your instrument of choice is ukulele, yeah. <laughs> the uke, right? So I want to plug uh, Dustin's band, you guys, Brave Balloons. Please check it out. Please give them a like. Uh, check, it, check into their music. It's downright pleasant. Uh, my wife um, is very picky, and she loves Brave Balloons music. It's fantastic. Very upbeat. It will put a smile on your face. So check that out. Do you have an approx release date or a time frame where they could be on the list? I know that what we're trying to do right now, the goal, and it's hard because it's everybody's free time and we're doing this for free, is uh, but what we're trying to do is get all the tracks at least recorded by the beginning of August. So um, okay. We're hoping for something. I, I'm scared to put a de- deadline on it, but don't 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 put but, a deadline. But you're hoping for something later yeah, this later year. Yeah, later this year is, is basically the yeah. awesome. Brave balloons. Be on the lookout. So again, thank you, huge Dustin, uh, for being. Yeah, on this the was show. fun. I really appreciate. It. No, I'm glad. We're gonna have to do it again sometime. Um, I, I think there's more stuff we can unpack. It's not even about this, but there's some other stuff we didn't get a chance to yeah. go to. But such is life. Thank you again, everyone, for listening to the Rush Rants podcast. Look forward to talking to you guys next week. Please go through any old episodes that you feel like you have not listened to or that you didn't get enough out of. We're always trying to bring fresh content to you. And as promised, we are trying to get more guests on the show. Again, you can look me up on social media. You guys have a great day and a great week. Bye. Thank you for listening to this latest episode of Rust Rants. It has been a pleasure. You can find us on any major podcast platform. Please feel free to subscribe to support. And you can find me on Twitter at Rust Rants number one, Instagram, which is Rust Rants, and email, which is RustRantsReal at gmail.com. I look forward to seeing you guys next time. Take care.